need a bulletin. Holly, can you give me a prayer bulletin, please? Make sure my batteries have been changed in the mic. Okay, thanks. Oh yeah, that's great. How are you? Everybody gets quiet all of a sudden. Amen. Amen. Let's uh, turn in our red books to 151. Turn in your red books to 151 or your blue books to page 63. We're here to praise and honor the Lord this morning. That's why we're here. His name's worthy. Amen. Amen. 151, let's stand all over the house. Praise Him, praise Him. Jesus, our blessed Redeemer, ever in joyful song. Let's lift it up today. Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. Sing, O earth, wonderful love proclaim hail him hail him highest archangels in glory strength and honor give to his holy name like a shepherd Jesus will guard his children in his arms he Carries them all day long. Sing now. Praise Him. Praise Him. Tell of His excellent greatness. Praise Him. Praise Him. Ever in joyful song. Praise Him. Praise Him. Jesus our blessed Redeemer. For our sins. Thank God for that. Amen. Hallelujah. He, our rock, our hope of eternal salvation. Hail Him, hail Him, Jesus the crucified. Sound His praises, Jesus who bore our sorrows. Love unbounded. Wonderful, deep, and strong. Sing now. Praise Him. Praise Him. Tell of His excellent greatness. Praise Him. Praise Him. Ever in joyful song. Praise Him. Praise Him. Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. Heavenly portals loud with hosannas ring jesus savior reigneth forever and ever crown him crown him prophet and priest and king christ is coming i believe that today hallelujah power and glory Unto the Lord belong. Praise Him, praise Him. Tell of His excellent greatness. Praise Him, praise Him. 
ever in joyful song. If you believe that today, say amen. Amen. Tell of his excellent greatness. Boy, there's a lot of things we want to brag and boast about as far as being great in this world and in, in life. But the one thing that's greater than everything and trumps it all is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Turn to um, Red Book 329, Blue Book 122, Standing on the Promises today. I'm thankful I've got some promises to stand on. Hallelujah. Let's lift it up all over the house. Standing on the promises now. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages let His praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God. Sing now. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. On the second now. Standing on the promises that cannot fail When the howling storms of doubt and fear Oh, I like this now By the living word of God I sh Hey man, do you believe that today? Standing on the promises of God Standing, standing Standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. On the fourth now. Standing on the promises of Christ the Lord. Bound to Him eternally by love, strong cord. Overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword. Standing on the promises of God. Sing it now. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God. You're standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. And the last, standing on the promises I cannot fall. Listening every moment to the Spirit's call. Resting in my Savior as my all in all. Standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing. 
Amen. I don't know about you. I love that last verse. Standing on the promises, I cannot fall. As long as you're standing on God's promises, you cannot fall. Amen. Listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all. Amen. Is the Lord your all in all this morning? Amen. We can stand on. Let's turn around today. Welcome one another into the house of God. It sure is good to be here today. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that's going to be. Boy, I tell you, I believe when we get to heaven, there's going to be a lot of rejoicing up there, don't you? So we need to do a little bit uh, of that down here in this life. Uh, boy, I tell you, we ought never come to the church and uh, uh, have the deadhead, amen, and, and act like we're in the funeral home. This is in the funeral home. This is God's house. Amen. We've got something to rejoice about this morning. We serve a risen Savior. He's not a dead God lying in a tomb somewhere, but uh, he came out of that tomb and he overcame the penalty and the power of sin and death. Amen. I don't have to go to hell. I'm going on my way to heaven. I know that I know that I'm saved by God's amazing grace. And that's something to shout about this morning and give God glory for. So, uh, I hope you came here today to praise the Lord on this 10th of April. Amen. Boy, I tell you, the lovely weather we're having, isn't it? Uh, here in East Tennessee, uh, you just never know what you're going to get this time of year. And uh, again, that snow was a flying yesterday, and uh, it just so happened. Um, got a, a phone call yesterday morning. Somebody had uh, some items they wanted us to pick up. 
uh, amen, and uh, we hadn't no more than got out there and started loading them up, and it just started pouring the snow, and the wind was blowing that snow into our face. So we loaded it up, and, and uh, box truck's full, so I had to put it in my pickup truck, and I said, well, instead of unloading it, we're going to take this truck and put it under the carport, and we'll get it hopefully Monday. It'll be warmer and sunnier, so uh, amen. You just never know what you're going to get into, but uh, that keeps us, keeps us on our toes and keeps us excited, excited, and uh, hopefully, well, I don't know about you, but I hope Resurrection Sunday is uh, warm and sunny and feels more like spring than it has the last couple of days, but uh, I want to remind you, every Sunday's uh, Resurrection Sunday, and notice that I didn't use the term Easter, I used the term Resurrection Sunday. Easter is a you know, and it's okay. I'm not. I'm not going to split hairs over that. That that's a. It's it's a. It's derived from pagan origin. A lot of these traditions that we have are um, uh, really non-Christian in character. So I like to refer to it as Resurrection Sunday, as we celebrate the death, the burial, and uh, the resurrection of our Savior. Uh, amen. How many of you are looking forward to uh, to to next week? Amen. And I hope this entire week that you take some time to contemplate just exactly what the Lord's done for you. Amen. So um, just a few announcements this morning. I do want to welcome everyone into the house of God. We've got some visitors here today. So we appreciate you uh, being here. We've got some that are back. Uh, after a little bit of delay, uh, Michael, you might should have stayed in Florida, bro. Amen. Praise God. But uh, I do have to make mention Miss Callie. We appreciate Miss Callie. Uh, being with us. Boy, she's had a time and she spent several days in the hospital and uh, she's been having a hard time uh, uh, eating and digesting her food. Uh, amen. I'm sure you notice I don't have that problem. Praise God. But uh, little Callie, she's been struggling this week, but God's brought her through and she's back in church this morning. I think that's something to praise God for, don't you? Amen. So continue to remember uh, Miss Callie in prayer. Uh, amen, and good to have several others. But uh, just uh, by way of announcements, uh, we will receive our uh, monthly youth offering at the end of today's service. Uh, we had to postpone that from last week uh, due to the missionary being with us, but be prepared to give under the youth ministry. Somebody don't let me forget that. If I forget, it's your fault, not mine. Uh, amen. No, I'm just kidding. So remember the youth offering. Uh, again, special Easter services next Sunday morning. Uh, we'll have sunrise service, I'm tentatively saying 645, uh, again we'll verify that as far as uh, when sunrise is supposed to take place, but just uh, if you can plan out being out, being out here uh, at the church around 645 next Sunday morning, and then say regular Sunday morning service at 1030, of course Sunday school 930 as well. Uh, we'll have a, a communion service, we'll observe the Lord's Supper as we always uh, do on uh, uh Resurrection Sunday, so remember that Sunday night uh, communion service. Boy, our spring revival's just right around the corner uh, as it's going to be taking place the first week of May, and uh, do be praying about that. We're going to get some flyers uh, made up, try to get the word out in our community about our spring revival as uh, Brother Guy Roberts, uh, pastor of Concord Baptist Church in Pickens, South Carolina. He'll be with us. It's been about three years since Brother Guy has been with us. He's uh, he's rip roaring and ready to go. So uh, if you've never heard him, you uh, you will be uh, in store for a, a treat and a blessing. Remember that we've got a, an, an art golf tournament coming up. I've got some flyers back in the back 
uh, both uh, event flyers as well as sponsorship flyers. Take some of those, uh, if you will, uh, so we can get the word out about this important event. Um, uh, Pam uh, is not able to be here today, but she does have a sheet on the table in the back to list lost relatives and friends that you would like to have covered in, in prayer uh, in these last days. Um, we're going to provide an insert in our church, uh, um, whatever you call this thing, bulletin, and uh, this insert will specifically be designated to our lost loved ones. Uh, that, that way you, you have that specific insert that you can pray uh, over the loved ones that we have. Boy, if there's ever been a day we need to be praying for the lost, it's the day we're living in. Amen. Time's running out. Jesus is coming soon, and uh, we better get it done while we can before it's too late. Uh, again, we've got uh, some other announcements there you can look through. Those are the main ones. Uh, by way of prayer request this morning, do continue to remember the Calvin Holt family, uh, Michael Barnes' uncle, uh, I believe Lyle's cousin. Didn't know you guys were related. Uh, amen. Uh, I don't know whether that, that makes me feel worse about both of you, I guess, but Amen. Remember the Calvin Holt family in prayer as uh, this uh, gentleman passed away uh, this week. Continue to remember uh, the Pounders family. This is uh, Kim Cannon's stepmother as they'll be having services today at 2 o'clock p.m. at Kaiser Funeral Home. And uh, Lord willing, we're going to try our best to attend those services. So again, remember uh, uh, the Pounders family. Uh, let's see. Again, continue to remember Miss Callie. It's good to have Mom and Dad, Dad back with us. Amen, as they're recovering from their, uh, their cold. Well, Dad's with us. Mom's not, right? Oh, she's, ba she's backslidden. Amen. So uh, remember my mom in prayer. But uh, they passed their, their junk on to me. Amen. Isn't that what parents are supposed to do for their children, pass their junk on to their kids? I guess that's mine inheritance is a cold, a head cold. Hallelujah. So uh, uh, remember them in prayer. Uh, again, good to have Michael Knight back with us. We've been praying for him. Well, pray for Brother Jake. Brother Jake's sick. Uh, amen. Of course, Brother Jake's love's sick. That's his biggest problem. Uh, amen. But uh, Jake's sick this morning, and he's not doing well, so remember him in prayer. He said, pray for me, Pastor. He said, I won't be here. I said, Brother, I don't feel one bit sorry for you. Hallelujah. But remember Jake. We love him dearly. Miss him when he's not here. And then uh, my aunt and uncle Pam and Kenny, they're also sick and under the weather. Uh, I mean, this, this temperature change, I mean, it's going to get us all before it's uh, said and done. So uh, remember them as they're not feeling well. And uh, Brother Josh preaching today, amen. Remember him in prayer as uh, his schedule's filled up really through the month of May. So uh, remember Brother Josh. And I'm sure you've got other requests. We'll give you an opportunity to make those at this time. We love Miss Cheryl. Technically, I guess it's Miss Cheryl, but uh, I, you know, try to make that distinction. Some of them I call Cheryl, and some of them I call Cheryl. But uh, we've got several Cheryls or Cheryls in the church. But remember, Miss Cheryl filing is she'll be going uh, for a procedure this week, a heart procedure. Uh, somebody else today. Okay, Elaine Justice is back in the hospital. Go ahead, Sam. 
Yeah, Sam hadn't been feeling good. So remember him as he's going for an MRI this week. Amen. Amen. Appreciate prayers that went up for Callie and uh, Miss Krista is sick this morning. I knew it was quieter there uh, on the Coggins Road for some reason. Amen. Amen. You still got the mean one with you, though. <laughs> Somebody else today? Other prayer needs? Yeah, go ahead, Bruce. Amen. Uh, remember Jeremy, a friend of Bruce's. Remember William Thomas, and remember Junior Fox in prayer. Also remember um, Miss Dolores, as uh, she's uh, up in Virginia with her daughter Tiffany, and uh, continue to remember uh, her and Tiffany uh, Powers uh, in prayer. Thank you. Oh my goodness, can't believe I even would think about forgetting that. Um, yes, remember Miss Helen Laster as I went by to visit with her um, on Friday evening and on my way she called me and, and said, hurry preacher, I'm sick. So I went over there and, and she was just, she'd about fallen and was dizzy and all kinds of things. So we called EMS and they admitted her and um, long story short, uh, most of her problems have to do with a UTI infection. Uh, but she's probably going to be there at least uh, through Monday. So uh, continue to remember Miss Helen Laster in prayer. Thank you, Bruce. All right, Miss Joanne is having an ultrasound on Tuesday. Any others? Remember Bethany Orr in prayer uh, with cancer. It had been in remission, but it has come back. So remember this need. Others today. What's the name there, Wayne? Bobby Bear. Bear. Mm-hmm. 
All right, remember uh, Bobby Bear in prayer, and then remember Miss Dolores as she's actually traveling, traveling home from Virginia. <clears throat> Any others? We need to remember our nation in prayer. Amen. We need to remember the, the uh, war that's still raging in Ukraine. Um, but I want to say to you this morning, this is kind of wetting your appetite for the message a little bit. We need to uh, pray about the culture war that's taking place right here in our nation. Uh, you may not realize it, but we are at war culturally uh, between right and wrong. Amen. And uh, we're going to speak about that. I greatly need your prayers as I preach today. Uh, but um, again, uh, let's just pray for uh, our upcoming elections here locally as we have some that are, um, that are trying to uh, stand up for, for, what, for the things that are wrong that are going on and taking place right here in our own community. And let's just pray that God would protect them, that God would put his favor on them. And most of all, pray that God's people would get out and vote. If the Christians of our community would get out and vote, we'd, we'd run these rascals off. Amen? That's right. Oh, Lord, killing the spirit already, aren't we? <laughs> Amen. Any other prayer needs this morning? sickening. Amen. Amen, Mary. It's good. That's good. Anybody else today? Unspoken request by the uplifted hand. Lost loved ones. Amen. Remember our missionaries on the field and uh, just pray that God would continue to, to bless uh, the ministry of missions. Amen. We'll gather around the altar if you want to uh, join us as we take these requests before the Lord. You can do so. If not, pray there in your seats, please. <clears throat> Bruce, you lead us in prayer, brother. <coughs> Father, we thank you, Lord, today for this another chance we have, Lord, just to come before you. Thank you, Lord, today, God, for your uh, your many blessings, God, that you bestow and pour out upon us. And, uh, Father, Lord, I pray, oh, God, Lord, uh, that we be here for one reason and one reason only, and that's to lift up the name of our Savior, the one that bled and died and suffered it all for us so that we might be saved and have everlasting and eternal life. God, I'm thankful, dear Jesus, that I know what it is to have my sins forgiven. I know what it is to have my name written down in the Lamb's Book of Life, Father. God, don't have to worry about going to hell, God, but I know in whom I'm believing, Father. Lord, thank you for this church that you give to us, or this family, God, where we can worship together. And the Lord, just lift up the, the name of our Savior freely, God, without fear of what man may do against us, Lord, today. Lord, I pray, Father, Lord, that you just have your will in your way. I pray that the Spirit of God might move upon us this morning in spite of us, in spite of our sins, God. Forgive us for our failures and our shortcomings and for all those ways that we fall short of your glory. 
All right, I need two children. There's one. Where's the other one? I need another one. Somebody come. Somebody come. <laughs> All right, uh, Anthony, you lead us in prayer.
and if just in case you don't know that uh, the children's offering goes to support our missions ministry and we started that several years ago and it's been a tremendous help and blessing amen grace do you have anything today all right we'll let miss grace sing this morning prior to uh, the message you pray for her There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide. Where all the love I've ever found Comes like a flood, comes flowing down. At the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. I'm in awe of you, I'm in awe of you. Where your love ran red and my sins washed I owe all to you, I owe all to you, Jesus. There's a place where sin and shame are powerless. peace with God and forgiveness where all the love I've ever felt comes like a flood comes flowing down at the cross at the cross I surrender my life. I'm in awe of you. I'm in awe of you. Where your love ran red and my sins washed white. I owe all to you. I owe all to you. Here my hope is found. Here on holy grounds. Here I bow down. Here I bow down, here arms open wide, here you saved my life, 
the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. I'm in awe of you. I'm in awe of you. Where your love ran red and my sins washed white, I owe all to you. I owe all to you. I owe all to you. I owe all to you, Jesus, Savior of the world, Jesus, your love ran red, Jesus, Savior of the world, Jesus, my Well, I don't, I don't mean amen, you're done. Praise God. That's what they say when I get done preaching. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, turn with me this morning, if you will, in your Bibles. Sam, do you have a song to sing this morning, brother? <laughs> Anthony, you got anything, brother? <laughs> amen. Sweetest name I know fills my every longing. I love it. Hallelujah. Yeah, I think Sam and Anthony need to do a duet. Or we could add Scott and Michael and they could do a quartet. Hallelujah. Michael, would you sing bass? Is that right? Solo, solo you can't hear him. Amen. Amen. You can be turning in your Bibles this morning to 2 Samuel chapter number 12. 2 Samuel chapter number 12. While you're turning, let me share this. I um, had the opportunity <coughs> on Friday to go to lunch. Me and Holly went to lunch with Miss Ellen. And uh, we went out to the gathering place, one of our favorite places to eat. And... Um, the reason I love going there on Fridays is because they have strawberry cobbler. Amen. You get you a good old uh, bowl of that warm. I know I'm killing the spirit before we get started preaching. But you get you a bowl of that good old warm strawberry cobbler and put some vanilla ice cream on that and it just melts. and That's heaven. But we got there and uh, now I mean I really was looking forward to having lunch with Miss Ellen. But I was also looking forward to, have, to eating some of that strawberry cobbler. And by George, for the first week and at least three, they didn't have it. Amen. I was so disappointed. But still, we had a good time, didn't we, Ellen? Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, Second Samuel chapter number 12. Uh, tried to keep things a little lighthearted because the message is going to be a hard one today. I've not been looking forward to preaching this. The Lord moved upon my heart about it uh, as I prepared for Wednesday night's uh, message and God just uh, spoke to me concerning the thing, some things that are relevant to the day that we're living in, to our own lives and especially as it relates to our children. Second um, Samuel 12, if you will stand and reverence the word of God, if you can't uh, feel free to stay seated but uh, we do want to read 
and honor the reading of God's Word uh, today. 2 Samuel 12, if you found your place, say amen. All right. Um, And the Lord, verse 1, sent Nathan unto David. And he came unto him, and he said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he uh, spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him. But he took the poor man's lamb. And dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Uh, And you might underline that phrase, because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king of, over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and, uh, and of Judah, and if that had been too little. In other words, David, isn't it enough what I've already done for you? I think we could all say that, couldn't we? Then he said, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Heard Brother Luther Spivey preach a, a message several years ago right here in this place uh, from this chapter, I would have done such and such. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house. Because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And David said unto Nathan, and this statement right here probably saved David's life. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. With the Lord's help today, I want to preach on this thought, and I greatly need your prayers today. What will happen to the children? Or let me say it this way, what will happen to our children? Father in heaven, I love you, and Lord, I thank you, God, for your word. And uh, Father, one thing about your word, it doesn't cut any corners. Uh, Father, it doesn't doll things up, it just tells it, Uh, clearly as it is. And Lord, I pray that you would burn in our hearts, Father, today. 
Lord, from the pulpit to the pew, God, what is going to happen to our children if things don't change? And most importantly, if we, the people of God, Lord, do not repent and turn back to you before it's too late. God, the truth is it may already be too late as far as our nation is concerned. And uh, I don't know. I don't have an answer to that, God. I know we're in perilous time. We're in dangerous days. But God, if there's ever been a time that the uh, Lord, the, the children of the living God ought to seek your face and search out our own hearts and see where we stand, uh, Father, I pray that it be the day that we're living in, not only on our behalf, but God, on behalf of our heritage and our lineage and on the generation that's coming up behind us. Lord, I pray that you'd use me today. God, I cannot preach this by myself and in my own strength. If I do it, I'll fail, and it'd be better off if we never come in today unless you do for us what we need you to do. Cleanse my heart of sin. And Lord, I pray that we would all make sure that there's nothing that would hinder, uh, Lord, your presence and your spirit from moving in our midst today, God. From the oldest to the youngest, God, Lord, I pray that if there's one here today that's lost, God, uh, help them to turn their heart to you and be saved before it's too late. But God, I pray that, um, uh, God, that, uh, that we would all be challenged and, God, we'd be drawn to you uh, as we desperate need to desperately need to cling to you during these uh, perilous days and times we're living in. God, we're going to honor you, and, Lord, we're going to trust you. Lord, praise you right now in advance for what you're going to do. Honor your word, exalt your son by way of your humble servant. Save that one nearest hell. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. What will happen to our children? I'll take my text from 2 Samuel 12 where Nathan, the prophet, confronts King David, the man after God's own heart, and over the flagrant and egregious sin that he'd committed with Bathsheba and against her husband Uriah. And I'm sure you know the story of how that when he should have been fighting out there on the battlefield with his men, David instead chose to be up on the rooftop of his own palace. And while up there he saw a beautiful woman who was taking a bath. And this woman just happened to be the wife of a man by the name of Uriah, one of David's mighty men and his best soldiers. By the way, you better guard your eyes, friends. That's one of the greatest ways that the devil will lure you into temptation is by the things you see and the things you watch and the things that you allow to enter into your mind through the doorway of your eyes. You say amen right there. But in a moment of lustful passion, David sent for Bathsheba, had uh, an adulterous relationship with her, and as a result, ended up conceiving a child with the, the wife of Uriah. And in response, David did everything he could to try and cover up his sin, but long story short, the only option he had left other to confess it was to have Uriah put in a position on the battlefield where he was intentionally allowed to be slain by the enemy. Uh, so now, instead of only being guilty of adultery, which was bad enough, David, the great king of Israel, the man after God's own heart, was guilty of murdering one of his most faithful and loyal soldiers. I don't know about you, but I can't think of anything more despicable. Amen. But I want to remind you that this was the greatest king that ever ruled 
over Israel and a man of whom the Bible refers to as being after God's own heart. It's hard to fathom, isn't it? But again, instead of coming clean and confessing what he had done, David instead chose to remain silent, thinking that he had somehow gotten away with his grievous sin. And, but can I just uh, take a time out here this morning and say that uh, there is no such thing as getting away with sin. As the Bible tells us, we can be sure that our sin will find us out, and whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now that doesn't mean that you're going to reap uh, the uh, consequences of your sin immediately. Amen. But just like when you sow a, 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 a field of grass, it takes time for that seed to grow and produce fruit. Amen. So a lot of times, just because we don't reap the consequences of our sin immediately, we think everything's okay. But we can be sure that our sin will find us out. And whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Proverbs 28, 13, the Bible says this, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whosoever confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Also, the Bible tells us in 1 John that uh, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if you don't ever praise the Lord for anything, you ought to praise Him and shout to the rooftop for that promise that when we confess, God will forgive. Can I get a witness today? But David chose to cover his sin instead of confess it. God ended up having to send a prophet by the name of Nathan to confront the great king and over the sins he had committed with Bathsheba and against Uriah. And let's just think of it this way. How would you have liked to have been Nathan and given that job as a prophet uh, to confront the most powerful uh, man in the entire nation in over uh, a great and a grievous uh, sin he had committed. But in 2 Samuel chapter 12, we find the record of this confrontation that took place between Nathan the prophet and David, the greatest of all kings in Israel. And in this chapter that records Nathan's confrontation with David, we see how that the prophet uses a story to illustrate the egregious nature of the sin David had committed. Now, what I want to do today, I just want us to go through this so we can really have a grasp on the story and, and how it all relates to David's life. And then at the end of the message, I want to provide you with the application that the Lord gave me this past Wednesday in my study for uh, prayer meeting services. Uh, but this story basically consists of two men uh, who lived in the same city, one of who was rich and the other who was poor. And according to the scriptures, the rich man had uh, many great herds of cattle and many flocks of sheep, uh, while the poor man had absolutely nothing except one little ewe lamb, which basically means a female sheep. Uh, the, the rich man had everything, and the poor man had very little. But according to verse number 3, uh, the poor man had bought and nourished up and it grew up together with him and with his children, speaking of the ewe lamb, and it did eat of his own meat and drink of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter, the precious nature of the ewe lamb. But in verse 4 of our text we find how that when it was time for the rich man to prepare a feast for a traveler, that had come to visit him, instead of taking a sheep 
where an ox from his own plenteous fold, he instead went and took the poor man's one little ewe lamb. He killed it, he dressed it up, and he had it prepared for the feast. Now, uh, I want you to understand that at this time, uh, while Nathan was telling this story, David had absolutely no idea whatsoever that the prophet was using this story to illustrate the great and grievous sin that David had committed with Bathsheba and against Uriah. And as a result, verse number 5 of our text tells us that David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he demanded that the rich man who had taken advantage of the poor man be put to death. Not only that, uh, but verse 6 tells us that David went so far as to require the rich man to repay the poor man four times the amount he had taken from him, not just because of what he did, but listen to me today, and this is very important, because of what the Bible describes as the rich man having no pity. Is that what it says? Amen. Now this time there's a couple important things that I think is worth, worth mentioning about the story. First of all, how easy it is for us as human beings uh, from the pulpit to the pew to become angry, vengeful, and spiteful towards uh, one another over their sin. Amen? And, and, but when we ourselves are guilty, we want everyone to go light on us and to be merciful uh, in over our sin. Isn't that the way it works? You help me preach today. And as I've said many times before in my preaching, if you want God and others to be merciful towards you and over your sin, then you better be willing to show some mercy, some grace and patience and forgiveness with others when they're the ones who are guilty. Can I get a witness today? Amen. And I don't have time to go into it this morning. I've got so much information I want to share. But uh, the principle, the biblical principle is that God's, uh, as well as other people's, willingness to be merciful towards us when we've sinned is dependent upon whether or not we are merciful towards them when they have sinned. Friend, I'm just saying today, you better be merciful to your brother and sister when they fall into sin because one day you're going to be the one standing in need of mercy. You're going to be the one who's guilty. And God's willingness to forgive you and to be merciful to you depends greatly upon your willingness to show mercy uh, towards them. Amen. But uh, again, uh, let me just say this uh, today. Because he had no pity, uh, what really upset David so much about the story was the fact that it seemed to him that the rich man had absolutely no pity whatsoever on the poor man or his little ewe lamb. And once again, I think it is so important for us to be willing to have pity and to do our best, listen friends today, to sympathize with others and over the situations they face and even the sins they commit. Alright? Why? Because even though they may be guilty, and even though they may be without excuse, a lot of times we don't understand or comprehend the circumstances of that particular situation. Alright? And even though their circumstances might not excuse them or absolve them for guilt, it might ought to at least help us 
to be able to sympathize with them and to show mercy towards them over what they've done. Now let me take a time out for a minute. I've been pastoring for 15 years. And one thing that I've seen in dealing with people is a lot of almost in every situation that you see that somebody has ruined their life, destroyed their life, made an absolute wreck or mess of their life, and we want to point fingers at them, and we want to look at them and say, well, how bad this person, I can't believe he or she did what they did, but in reality, there's always a backstory to it. Now, that doesn't absolve them of guilt. You help me preach today. That doesn't mean that they are, that they are excused for what they've done, but my question is, what would you have done if you'd gone through what they went through? You say, well, I would never have done that. No, you might have done worse. Huh? And I'm telling you, we live in a world full of hurting people. We live in a world, uh, and can I just go ahead and get to where I'm going today, full of hurting kids and children. And we bring these children in here on Wednesday night, and, and, and amen, we... You know, uh, again, we think of ourselves and the lives that we live, and we've grown up in church, and amen, my, uh, amen I, was, uh, I was on drugs from the, the moment of my birth. In other words, uh, I was drugged to church, amen, uh, and I didn't have the option, and I knew that I'd, I'd probably uh, got a whooping for even ask dad if I uh, uh, had to or didn't have to go to church. Hey, it's not that way with everyone. And I'm telling you, friend, we live in a world of hurting people. And does it absolve their guilt or is, does it excuse their sin? No, but I'm just saying there's always, almost always, every single time a backstory behind it. And before you condemn them, and before you uh, want to kick them to the curb, you better uh, think, think about this, what would you have done if you'd been through what they'd been through? You know what the Bible says, let a man that thinketh, he standeth. Take heed, lest he fall. And if a man see a brother or a sister overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore that brother or sister in a spirit of what? Meekness, considering thyself, lest they also be tempted. You know, the most fatal words that could ever come out of your mouth is, I'd never do that. Because again, you'd probably do worse. That's right. That's good preaching today. Uh, amen. So let me say this. Uh, uh, listen, uh, verse number 7, let's move on. Uh, amen. We need to show pity. We need to, to, to sympathize. And most of all, we need to learn the lessons from the sins of others. And we better consider our own selves lest we be tempted and end up doing something far worse than what they themselves have done. Verse number 7. Nathan puts his own finger in David's face. And I'm sure that was an incredibly hard thing for the prophet to do. And he said, thou art the man. And can you just imagine the tension and the intensity of that moment between Israel's greatest king and this great prophet? A man who had the reputation of being a man after God's own heart. And the preacher walks through the door, puts his finger in his face and said, Thou art the man. 
But not only did Nathan expose David's sin, he also reminded the king of all God had done for him and how greatly the Lord had blessed him. Verse 7 and 8, I anointed thee king over Israel. I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. I gave thee thy master's house and the master's wives into thy bosom. And I gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And friend, I want to say to you, and I've said it before, if nothing else, the blessings of God ought to be enough to bring us to a place of repentance. When we see just how good God's been to us and all that he's done for us. But if that wasn't enough, salt being poured into the wound, the second part of verse 8, and if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. And Fred, I don't know about you this morning, but that phrase right there uh, absolutely makes cold chills want to run down my spine. To know that not only did David sin spite all the things God had done for him and all the blessings the Lord had bestowed upon him, but when he sinned, David basically spat in the face of and rejected all of the other things the Lord would have, could have, should have, and wanted to do for the man after his own heart if David would have only remained faithful to the Lord. Let's take another time out today and just say that when the devil tempts us, and how many of you know what it is to be tempted by Satan? Amen. And, and in that moment, that the, the pleasures of sin for a season seem a lot more desirable than the blessings of God. But when you're hanging in the balance of whether or not to go through with that sin or whether or not to stay faithful to God, you, you, you need to consider not only the blessings that God's bestowed upon you, but you need to weigh in the balance uh, the pleasures of that little time of sin for a season as it relates to the, to the enormous measure of blessings that God still has in store for, fu for your future. What He wants to do. What He could do. What He would do. What He uh, desperately desires to do in your life if you'll only remain faithful. And Nathan said, Oh, David! Uh, God's message for you today is that He would have done so much more if you'd only been true to my name. That's, that ought to sober us. To think that when we stand before God, and you will stand before God as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment, you're going to stand before Him, and God's going to show you what you did, and then what you, what. what He's going to show you all those such and suches that he would have done and he could have done and he should have done if you'd only been faithful to his high and holy name. Can you imagine the heaviness of the blow that fell upon David when Nathan revealed not only what God had done but what he would have done in David's life if he had only been faithful? On that judgment day when we stand before God, we're going to see that uh, how that so often we choose the lustful pleasures of our own lives and our over, over our own sin, over the unforeseen blessings that God had in store for us. Now here's another one of the thrusts of this message. And here's one of the, the things that God uh, gave me to, to get across to you today, and that is just how high the stakes are in our lives, in our families in our church and in our own nation. Amen.
whether or not we stay faithful to God or whether we choose to go on our, our own way according to our own stubborn and rebellious ways. Verse 9 of our text, Nathan began to provide the specific details of David's sin, which I'm sure was embarrassing to the king. Uh, Caroline, would you get me some more water, sweetheart, please? Uh, and then in verse number 10 and 11, he made a foreboding statement towards David that foretold judgment that was just about to fall and was going to fall not, himself, not only on himself but also in his own family because of his sin. Verse, these verses, verses 8, verse number 9, excuse me, verse number 10 and 11 of our text, the Bible says, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine hand. Let me read that again. The sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house and I will take thy wives before thine eyes. Thank you. And give them unto thy neighbor and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun. If you know anything about the remainder of David's life, you know that the prophet sure did hit the nail on the head as far as the sword never departing from David's house. See, this is the part of God we don't like to acknowledge in this day of prosperity religion. And that God is somehow so merciful, so gracious, and so long-suffering, and yes, He is, Amen, and praise God for it. But that he will somehow ignore or turn a blind eye to sin. When in reality, even though he forgives us, yet sometimes there are still consequences. And that's why, friend, the stakes are so high right now as it relates to what we choose to do with our sin. You know, the truth is there's nothing we can do about the past. And every one of us, if we were to admit, we'd say, oh man, I wish I'd go back. That old country song says, if I could do it all over, I'd do it again. No, that's a lie. I don't know anybody that would say that, you know, amen, we all have regrets. I'm 42 years old, 40, no, 43 years old. That's how you know you're getting old when you can't even remember how old you are. <laughs> but already there's regrets in my life. And I'm sure that you who are a little older than I am, you've got even more regrets than I have. Oh, I wish I could go back and change the way I lived and the decisions I made. But you know, we can't do that. But I'm just so, so thankful this morning that it's forgiven, forgotten, forever. Amen. <laughs> hey, we may uh, be, hold guilt and over our heads because of the past and other people may remind us of what we did yesterday or last year or 10 years ago or however long it's been, but I'm thankful that in God's eyes it's what sins are you talking about. As far as the east is from the west. But just because God's forgiven us doesn't mean that there are not going to be consequences. And the thrust of this story is not only the consequences that David's sin had in his own life, but the specific consequences that his sin had in his family. And especially in the lives 
of the children that were so precious and dear to him. Now I want to show you, uh, or verse 12, let's go on through the, the text and we'll get to the application. Thou did it secretly, well, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the Son. Finally, we have what is probably the most important part of the entire story. We see David's response to, to his own sin after he had been confronted by Nathan. Verse 13, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, and thou shalt not die. And notice, that's even after David had pronounced a death sentence upon the rich man who had taken advantage of the poor man described to us here in Nathan's story. But in spite of David's own pronouncement of death and judgment towards the perpetrator and the guilty man, God mercifully chose to spare David's life as a result of the great and grievous sin even though he wasn't obligated to do so. Can I just say this? You better be careful about pronouncing judgment on others because in reality you might be pronouncing judgment upon yourself. See, friend, David deserved, it's unquestionably, David deserved to die for what he had done. Not just adultery, murder. One of his closest soldiers, a man who had been faithful on the battlefield. But yet God, graciously and mercifully, spared David's life. Why? And I don't have time to get into this. Why did God spare David's life? Well, two reasons. First of all, because if you examine the totality of David's life, you find that over and again, David was a merciful man. Time and time again, he had the opportunity to judge others and to punish others. And most of the time, David chose to choose mercy over judgment. And when David needed mercy, God showed him mercy because David had shown mercy. Friend, again, I, I say there's going to come a time when you need mercy. You better be merciful to others. Secondly, David was genuinely repentant. He was truly sorrowful over his sin. You can study Psalm 51, the psalm of repentance, one of the greatest uh, forms of literature that have ever been written, Psalm 51, David's psalm of repentance. He wasn't sorry he got caught. <laughs> he was sorry that he had sinned. May I remind you today there's a difference? Uh, there's even a difference, not just being sorry you got caught, but also Sorry for the consequences. You know, when I was growing up, I'm thankful I had a daddy that uh, when I was guilty, there were consequences. Uh, amen? But you know, sometimes, and I just got to be honest today, I wasn't always sorry for what I did. I was sorry over the whooping. <laughs> Anybody know what to preach? <laughs> amen, praise God. I'm hitting a, I'm, I'm hitting a nerve now. See, there's a difference between being sorry you, you get caught and being sorry for the consequence, but being sorry that your sins have highly offended a holy God. See, that's where we're at today. We have not gotten to that place. Sometimes we get, we're sorry we get caught, and we're sorry for the results and the consequences and the effect. But, but, but when is the last time that God's people you know, truly and genuinely showed heartfelt sorrow and remorse 
and brokenheartedness over the egregious nature of their sin in the eyes of a holy God. We are not there, friends. We just aren't. And until we get there, we've not produced, we have not come to a place where we are even eligible for a remedy. Where there is no repentance, there will be no remedy. There must be repentance if God's going to heal us. And we can apply that to whatever we want to. But not only had David, and i got to hurry, pronounce a death sentence against himself, but he also, listen today church, this is really the thrust of the message. He pronounced a fourfold restoration for the crime that had been committed by the rich man against the poor man. Verse 6, and he shall restore the lamb, what does it say? Fourfold. Because he did this thing, and again, because he had no pity. But listen, church, and I really want you to get the, the, the sobriety and the seriousness and the heaviness of this statement. When David pronounced fourfold restoration, he was actually pronouncing a fourfold judgment, not just down upon himself, but upon his own family. And if you study the life of David after his sin, not just with Bathsheba, but also against Uriah, you'll find that not just David, but his entire family paid a specific fourfold price of death not for their sin because they were innocent but for the sins of their daddy there's no way to cut corners on that one there's no way to soften that one up or to spin it or twist it I'm telling you David's family and his children suffered fourfold because of daddy's sin can I prove it to you? And you can study it out and you'll find it. The baby died. The baby Bathsheba conceived in her lustful encounter with David ended up dying. That's one full judgment. Secondly, Amnon, Amnon, David's son. Can I just say to you that after David's sin, the rest of his life, yeah, God used him, God blessed him, God did great things with him. But yet his, the rest of his life and his entire family was nothing but torture, torment, and turmoil. His son raped Tamar, which was his sister, David's daughter. And Absalom, David's youngest son, killed Tamar in a fit of rage and revenge against his own brother. There's twofold judgment. We don't like, like to think of God like this, do we? Thirdly, Absalom, David's youngest son, whom David favored over and above the rest, they ended up committing treason and anarchy against his own father, launched a national coup and stole the kingdom from his own daddy. Civil war broke out. Amen. Our sins, not only do they affect ourselves, and our own family, but they also 
extend far further, just like the tentacles of an octopus. Civil war broke out. Absalom, his most beloved son of all, ended up being slain while hanging from his own long hair in a tree. Can you imagine David riding up on a horse on the, to the scene, to the death scene of his own son? Even though Absalom had rebelled against his daddy, yet David loved him with a love that couldn't be described. But there he saw his own son hanging from his own hair in a tree and he'd had a sword thrust right through his body. And when David looked down, all he could see was blood dripping from his own hands. Threefold judgment. Fourfold judgment. On his deathbed, even though he knew Solomon was the rightful heir to the throne, Adonijah, another son of David, launched an insurrection and tried to take over the kingdom before Solomon had a chance to do so. Long story short, David anointed Solomon. Joab killed Adonijah in the fourfold judgment David unknowingly pronounced upon himself and his own family ended up coming to fruition precisely as it had been pronounced, not by Nathan, but by David. The sword never departed from David's house and his family. And his beloved and innocent children ended up suffering greatly for the consequences, not of their own sin, but for the great and grievous sins of their father. The worst part of all and this is what hit me right between the eyes while I was studying Wednesday night. David was alive to see almost all, if not the entire, scene unfold. As he watched the sins of his younger life play out and unfold upon the ones that he loved the most. And from the remainder of his entire life, the words of Psalm 51 rang out, Psalm of Repentance, when he wrote in an attitude of genuine remorse. But yet at that time it was too late. There was nothing he could do about it. He said, and I believe this is the banner cry of the remainder of David's life after his sin. My sin is ever before me. Until the very day he died, he had to watch and witness this fourfold judgment he pronounced himself play out and through the lives of his children not because of what they had done. They were innocent. But instead because of what David, the great and mighty man after God's own heart, had pronounced and, and done, not just against himself. But Do you know when you sin and when I sin, presumptuously, presumptuously and willfully, not only are we sinning against God, but we're sinning against others. We're sinning against our kids. And we're sinning against people who don't deserve to be punished for what we have done. Oh, the devil's sly, isn't he? I'm getting to where I can hopefully wrap this up here in just a moment. Exodus 34, 6 and 7 provides for us what we might refer to as a generational curse. This was when Mo God was giving Moses the Ten Commandments out on the mountain. 
Verse 6 and 7, The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, hallelujah, and abundant in goodness and in truth, keeping mercy for thousands, <laughs> forgiving iniquity and transgression and sins. And aren't you thankful for that? But we want to focus on that and we want to ignore the rest of it. That will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, and to the third and fourth generation. Do you know it's possible for my great-grandkids to still be suffering from the stupid decisions I made over the course of my life? And that may not be pleasant, but it's Bible. And I'm afraid we've got a generation of youngins growing up today that are suffering the consequences of granddaddy and great-granddaddy's sin. There is such thing as a generational curse. And that's why it's so vitally important for we adults to live lives that are holy, righteous, and acceptable before the Lord, lest our kids who are innocent, our grandkids and our great-grandkids end up suffering the consequential effects, not of their sins, but of our sins. And if I were to ask you that, or if you were to ask me that, do you want your kids to suffer your sin? Who in their right mind would say yes? But yet our decisions and our choices that we make say otherwise. You need to think when the devil tempts you, the highness of the states. Amen. Sin will take you a little much farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you a whole lot more than you're willing to pay. Amen. The devil, he, amen, he's a hustler. He'll sell you something he presents is worth a million dollars, but when it's all said and done, it ain't even worth a dime. I mean, we can see this playing out. Again, we want our offspring to end up suffering the effects of our own sin. None of us would say yes. But friend, I'm telling you today, and I can't think of a more serious message that needs to be preached in our day, but it's not being preached. The future of my children and my generational offspring and the heritage of my own life depends upon what I do, the choices I make, and whether or not I am willing to repent of my sin. God forbid. My two precious babies would be forced to suffer and to be punished simply because I was not willing to repent. Do I, as a daddy, want the blood of my babies on my hands when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ? How many parents in our world today, when they stand before God, are going to have to have the blood of their babies dripping off their own hands? You tell me I'm not telling the truth today. Can I read you some wor the words of Jesus Christ? Matthew 18, at the same time came the disciples to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child unto him and said, Him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye can be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
Who shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me? But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of a sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that the offense come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. And what a wonderful promise that is to those of us who know what it is to lose a child, knowing that, that, that their angels do always behold the throne of God. Isn't that a blessing? Can I just say it like this? And we could use bukus of illustration. But if something I watch offends in babies, it'd be better for a poker to be thrust through my eyes than for my kids to be offended because of something I watch and they're exposed to. That's good preaching. We see this all through the Bible. Pharaoh's an example. You know, Pharaoh ordered the deaths of the firstborn kids of the Hebrews. What happened? The tenth final plague? The firstborn kids of Egypt died. What goes around comes around. We see, we're seeing it right now in our study of Jeremiah. When Manasseh had the gall to erect a bronze statue of Moloch in the valley of Gehenna which is the nickname for hell, heat the, the bronze arms of that idol up so hot that when they offered their own children up upon the hands of that false god, which was the, the equivalent of spitting in God's face, those little babies fried on the irons of that false god. They paid hell for that. But let's get real for a minute. We've been gathering up a large tab here in America for a long time as it relates to the innocent children. Six million have been aborted in 50 years. Who's going to pay for that? Our kids. You hearing me today? Who is going to pay the tab? For the, for the debt that's been accumulated in America as it relates to all of the innocent children that have been slain in the last 50 years. You are my babies. I'm going to pay that debt. And that's just as true as I know how to say it. And you know what? I believe it's already started. And let me just, let me just anchor down for just a minute. All right? The most recent nominee to the Supreme Court can't even define what a woman is. Female athletes are suffering because we're letting biological males compete in sports by identifying themselves as females. 
Our children are being abused right in front of our eyes as we are allowing the uh, damned and demonic movement of LGBT, perverted forms of sexuality to be shoved right down their throats in school as young as kindergarten. That's demonic. And the teachers that would allow that to happen, uh, amen, they are just as perverted. They're predators. And the school systems are preying on your kids. How about Disney World for a minute? I've been putting this in off for a little while. But it's time to just let the hammer drop. Disney has become of the devil. Disney is now demonic. Am I saying that it always has been? I don't think that is the intention of Walt. He would probably roll over in his grave to know. And isn't it so interesting that the devil used that which, is, which seems to be most innocent? <laughs> How dare you talk about Winnie the Pooh? <laughs> but that's what the devil does. He disguises his filth in the most innocent way. Disney employees are being encouraged and they are even giving benefits to provide their children with pu puberty blockers and to perform genital reassignment procedures for the purpose of gender af affirmation which I believe constitutes body mutilation and definitely is child abuse. How depraved, how wicked, and how vile do we have to get before we have a culture that is championing the mutilation of the bodies of our children and allowing schools to pressure innocent little kids that don't have a clue about life. Yet they want them to decide for themselves as kindergartners whether they want to change sexes and have surgeries to make them girls instead of boys or vice versa. It's amazing that God hadn't already wiped us off the map. But honey, you get ready. It's coming. And your children are the ones that are suffering and are going to suffer worse than they are right now for the sins of this nation. It's an all-out assault and an onslaught against the youth, the kids, and the children of our nation. And you know what? God's letting it happen. And he's just and he's righteous in doing so. It may not make sense to us. But I promise you when God weighs it out of the balance, he'll still be 100% holy, 100% righteous, and 100% just for allowing your and my kids to suffer for what we've done. Can I just say this today? Repentance and the owning of sin is the only thing that saved David's life. And it's the only thing that will save us, our nation, and especially the innocent and beloved kids who are suffering right now and who will only suffer more and more for our sins if we don't repent. Early on in Job's trial, he said he was righteous. He vindicated himself and he maintained his own integrity in both the sight of God and his friend. That's what I want to do. That's what we want to do. Is saying, uh, again, I want to maintain my own rightness. And my own integrity. When God looks at me and says, you make me want to puke. At the end of his trial, after he'd seen the Lord, he said, I am vile. 
Big difference, isn't it? I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Isaiah said it like this. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why? Because my eyes have seen the king. Self-vindication and self-righteousness is not a sign of repentance. From the pulpit to the pew, we must all repent because we are all guilty. For we will watch and witness our children continue to suffer the consequences of our sin, even though they themselves are innocent. We want to fuss and fight about who's right and who's wrong, who's guilty, who's innocent. We want to maintain our own righteous integrity when in fact we've all sinned, we're all guilty. And the world, the world and especially our kids, are paying hell for our own self-righteousness. America has been accumulating a tab for many years. Very soon the debt's going to come due. Somebody's going to have to pay for the sins of America. And just as sure as I'm standing before you today, the payment's going to fall on those youngins you've got sitting right beside you and the ones you're holding in your lap right now. Can I just use Ukraine? And I end with this as an illustration. See, these things are foreign and oblivious to, the, to, the, to us, but the truth is they may very well be right on our doorstep. In Ukraine right now, innocent women, children, and senior citizens are being mercilessly slaughtered by the Russians in ways not seen since the days of the Holocaust. They're sending them to camps. They have portable what do you call them? Crematories. Why? Because they no longer value life. You show me a society that does not value human life, and I'll show you somebody and a group of people that are capable of doing anything. If they'll kill unborn babies, they'll kill you, and they'll kill your kids. The Russians are not even given victims proper burial and are not, you know, mass graves are being found right now all over the country. We saw it in Jeremiah. Jeremiah was forbidden to marry, forbidden to have children. He could not even visit a funeral home or go to a wedding. God wanted to use him to, to, to show the people to get ready. You're not even going to have a time to mourn or to rejoice. And there will not even be an opportunity for you to bury your loved ones because of the greatness of slaughter that's coming against you. And it's all because of your sin. Could what's going on right now in Ukraine be a foreshadowing and a sign of what is getting ready to happen when payday comes due for America? And for us who are older, Ain't that big a deal, is it? Because your life's pretty much over. But could it be that God sovereignly allows you to live just long enough to see your heart break as your babies suffer atrocities that you can't even imagine? All because we were not willing to repent when we had the chance to do so.
if they'll meet if they'll mut- mutilate the body of your child in kindergarten y'all listen to me today y'all hearing what I'm saying if they'll mutilate the body of your child in kindergarten what why would they hesitate you know what they did you know <laughs> I, I know this. Listen, it's time for us to face reality. You know what they did to the Jew, to the Hebrew, to the Jewish children when Nebuchadnezzar invaded the land. Do you know why God told Jeremiah not to have no babies? He said because when Nebuchadnezzar comes, here's what he's going to do. He's going to take the take them little babies by the legs, and those those Babylonian soldiers are going to take those innocent babies, and they're going to bash their heads against the wall of the city and let the brains and the blood of those innocent babies, Jewish babies, run out on the ground. And if God would sovereignly allow that to happen to His own people, why do we think that He'll spare us and that He'll spare our kids? If they'll let your babies be mutilated in kindergarten, how do you know they won't set up crematories and toss them into the oven and let them burn? Let's all stand today. Father in heaven, I love you. And Lord, there's no doubt that most people who would hear me preach a message like this today would probably say I'm crazy and that I'd be put in an asylum. But they probably said the same thing about Jeremiah. Father, I'm not innocent, I'm guilty. I am who I am by God's grace. When I think about my life and all you've given to me and how good you've been to me in spite of my sin, the testimony of my life is I am who I am by God's grace. I ought to have lost my family a long time ago. Have no, Lord, it's by your grace and mercy. And I'm pastoring United Baptist Church. But God, would you break my heart? God, would you give me this, this worthless, no good, fit for nothing preaching? God, would you give me a genuine remorse and a genuine sorrow, not just for the consequences of my sin, But Lord, the fact that every time I sin against you, I'm highly offending the name of a holy and a righteous God. Lord, help us to quit living in a state of denial and help us to realize just how the the stakes are. 
The world is imploding all around us. Souls are dropping off in hell. Families are falling apart. Kids are doped up. Getting pregnant before they even know what it means to be alive. We're sacrificing our kids to the false gods of our own idols. And all the while we can't even get along with each other. We fuss and fight. Put our doctrines and our denominations and our preferences and our opinions over the well-being of what really matters. God, I pray, oh God, could it be that our calloused hearts, our blind eyes, our deaf ears, our stubborn wills, could it be part of the process of you withdrawing yourself? Could it be part of the process of you turning your back on a people who long since has turned their backs on you? God, I stand here today feeling so helpless and incapable. I'm sure just like every preacher this morning of trying to describe the gravity and the somberness and the seriousness that we cannot grasp it but oh God I pray that you'd plow up the fallow ground of our hearts God the only thing that will save us from the fate of our own demise is a broken heart and a contrite spirit that and that alone you've promised you won't despise The only antidote and the only remedy for our sin is repentance. Lord, help us to repent, to remember, to repent, to repeat, to do our first works, and to return from whence thou hast fallen before it's too late, and before you once and for all remove the candlestick from out of its place. God, the light is going out. The sky's growing dark. Lord, I'm afraid you're getting ready to take the candle of your favor and blessing off of us. We've been in danger of witnessing it for so long. But God, would you start right now with a group of genuine, broken-hearted, and repentant believers here at United Baptist Church. And I pray that we would get serious over choosing the destiny of our loved ones over the pleasure of our temporary sin. We pray that you'd move during the invitation, help us to respond, not according to the preacher, but according to the Word and the Spirit of God as it's been given out today. We'll praise you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to come today, the altar's open. While Miss Grace plays, Lord, I'm coming home. <laughs>